Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Black Girls Talk, where we talk about a lot of things. Sometimes they matter, sometimes they don't, but they are always entertaining. We're your hosts, Corel and Emily Rose, and today we're going to be talking about Black women and medical racism with our good friend, Tanya. Okay, everyone, we're so glad to be back for another episode, and we're so glad to present, we're so excited to present our guest that is here with us today. We have Tanya. Um, Tanya, please give us a little blurb of what it is that you do, who you are, you know, just everything you've accomplished, because you've done a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So, hi, everyone. My name is Tanya. Um, I am currently a second-year pre-med student um, with the hopes of becoming a physician in the near future which is not really near but hey gotta do what you gotta do um i am a medical laboratory science major i'm also a medical receptionist and a certified first responder um i also have a certification in phlebotomy technician and yeah that's why i think something no, I don't think I'm, no, I'm good. I don't think I'm anything. But yeah. We would like to hear about your Instagram account where you document your journey. I knew it. Okay. Um, <laughs> I also have a medical Instagram page where I, like Tara said, I document my journey. It's Mandiangu MD. So M-A-N-D-I-N-G-U-M-D. Um, and yeah, I just post a lot of things about my journey, little facts, little inspirational quotes here and there. You know just to show everybody the real good and bad side of what it's like to be a pre-med student so um for my certifications um i am a certified first responder i do volunteer at my school a part i'm a part of the campus emergency response team um for phlebotomy technician um essentially those are the healthcare professionals that are responsible for collecting blood specimens um So I am certified in that. I am currently looking for another job where I can put that certification to use since I'm currently a medical receptionist. Um, And yeah, I really am interested in anything healthcare related since that is the field I am trying to pursue. And the phlebotomy technician certification is like a way to get my foot into the door in healthcare and kind of up my resume for when it is time to apply for medical school. So you had quite an interesting journey because I know when um, you and I were talking about, you know, getting into post-secondary education, you seem to want to go down a different, a different path. Like what made you choose this one? Like the path of medicine, it's hard, it's long, it's grueling and heavy. What made you want to choose this one specifically? So essentially, um, going into post-secondary, I wanted to be a medical laboratory scientist, um, which is why I major in medical laboratory science. But I don't know, something in my heart wasn't satisfied. Like growing up as a child, I was super, super indecisive. I wanted to be everything and anything, like you name it, I wanted to be it. If it was a firefighter, a a police officer, believe it or not, <laughs> um, a little cook, dancer, singer, like I wanted to be everything. It wasn't until grade 12 where I finally sat down and I'm like, okay, well, you have to apply to something and something that you will like. And I've always been fond of sciences and like STEM and math and all of that as a kid. So when I found my program, I was like, yeah, 
this is like what I want to do. And then I got into my program and I was very excited. And then I spoke with my career advisor and I'm like, I don't think this is what I want to do anymore. Um, it's good. It wasn't just enough for me. Like, mm-hmm. I know myself. I'm an advocate. I need I just needed something where I can advocate for a patient mm-hmm. and really be implicated in their lives and help them get better. And I tried I'm like oh my gosh I don't want to be a doctor and sacrifice like my 20s like I can't do that I need something else like I thought medical laboratory scientist was going to be great because it is still involved in patient life but it's kind of like in the background like a lot of people don't really know about us which is why usually when I tell people my program they're like and what is that like what even is that and I'm like you know when you do a sample and you send it to the lab well I'm at the lab (laughs) and then everybody sort of gets it so I'm like yeah I need something with more just more like face-to-face like one-on-one interactions with these patients yeah something where I can really impact a patient's life positively and just be that go-to person and I'm just like you know what I'm literally describing being a physician I just (laughs) am not saying I'm just not saying the word so eventually I gave in and I'm really enjoying my journey so far and I just can't wait until I have my white coat and then I'm actually Mondiangu MD. Every time I think of med school, honestly, like it just sounds like really hard. It sounds really hard, like not even to bring anyone down in terms of med school or anyone that's looking forward to following that path. But it just sounds really long and it sounds like a really big sacrifice out of all the people that I've seen who wanted to go into med school. Like, do you believe that it's a field for people who aren't passionate about it? Like, do you feel like it's a field that you can go into like half-heartedly kind of like a this could maybe or maybe not be it we'll just see do you feel like it's a field for people who aren't passionate because you're so you seem to be so passionate you know like you have a whole page dedicated to your passion and I just wonder if it's for people who don't have that same sentiment towards medicine honestly um I don't think that if you're not like truly passionate about medicine that it will be a good journey for you a lot of people tend to go into medicine for like prestige and no money status and things like that. And most of the time they don't enjoy it. Medical school is, I've heard, is like the hardest four years of your life. Because it. a lot of people say it's like drinking from a water hose. So you're trying to get as much water as you can. But you know, obviously the water is going everywhere and you're so overwhelmed. And it comes with a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of material, and you literally have people's hands in your life. So if you're not passionate about what you want to do, then I truly don't believe that medicine would be the right path, especially with everything you have to do in order to even be an applicant, to even be able to apply to medical school. Like it comes with volunteering, sometimes research. Um, It comes with being a whole like a well-rounded person and the grueling MCAT I'm not looking forward to taking that exam at all but everybody I talk to that have been to medical school say that that's probably one of the hardest exams they've ever had to take even including their medical school exams they say that the MCAT was harder which is like (laughs) kind of terrifying but you know I knew I had to I'm gonna have to do it one day So if you're not truly passionate into it, then it'll be a real struggle. Like don't only go into medicine if like your parents want you to do it or 
you want more money because there's so many jobs out there where you can make a crap ton of money and you know there's no point in putting yourself through this torture if you don't want to do it and how long does it usually like how long following your path for example would it take to become a doctor a physician so if you do the traditional path which is um high school and then straight to post-secondary four years and then straight to medical school, which is another four years, then by the end of medical school, once you graduate that, then you're already a doctor. Um, you just have to be accepted into a residency program, which varies. Um, I'm pretty sure it's between three and eight years, depending on what you want to specialize. Um, I know like to be a neurosurgeon, you, you have to do like probably eight years of residency or something. Oh, um, what I'm interested in right now, which is OB. Uh, GYN I know that's another four years so four years post-sec four years medical school four years residency and yeah so that's basically like your whole 20s yeah. that's if you do the traditional route as well I know a lot of people who take gap years between um, university and medical school some people take one maybe two maybe even three just to polish their applications or even get to know themselves and take a mental health break because that's a lot of school. High school to post-sec straight to medical school is a lot. So honestly, a lot of people do recommend taking gap years actually, but if you don't, then it's at least eight years before you start residency and then residency really varies. So it's a lot of schooling and a lot of money as well. So And residents don't usually get paid very well, right? Like it's bottom of the barrel rates. That's what I heard for at least like American residents. Um, I don't exactly know how much Canadian residents make, um, but I do think that it's like like an average salary okay like average five-figure salary I do think that's how much like residents make before okay. attending okay that's not terrible but I still think of like a lot of the people because a lot of people I talked to who are getting into medicine were also like they're trying to fit other aspects of their lives into it kind of like oh I also want to get married and I want to have kids you know and it's like I don't want to have to wait until I'm like in done med school in like my mid thirties to start doing those things. I want to be married. I want to have kids, but it's like, how would you even come close to balancing having kids and grueling med school and like residency and all that? That just sounds like so, that just sounds like so much. Like, how do you feel like all that would fit into it? Like if you have plans for that, even, you know, or if like your family's like on your ass about things like that, Honestly, um, I heard that a lot of people do pick their specialties depending on um, actually if they want to raise a family or not. So things like a family doctor is easier to have a family with since you can do shift work. Um, so you can do like nine to five, Monday to Friday, you know, like any other jobs out there. Um, other things like surgery, surgical specialties usually aren't the best for if you're trying to start a family because you can be on call and like they can call you in the middle of the night and be like oh we need you to come into the hospital um like for example that I know- should be illegal <laughs> I know like- people are dying yeah no, bro are you telling me there's only one neurosurgeon in the hospital? No, but someone has to be the neurosurgeon. Like you're that the comes doctor. In. Okay, I think that there should be someone who travaille la nuit 
someone qui travaille le jour. Like, you can't, like, the th- like I think that people should be, like, Say that in assigned English. specific hours. So, you do like, realize we have doctor- Google phone listeners. Hey, my bad. Sorry. I think, like, some specific doctor should work, like, should be scheduled to work. Sometimes you're scheduled to work at night. Sometimes you're scheduled to work during the day. This thing that, like, any hour of the night they can call you and you must rush to the hospital, to me, like, I know it's necessary. You know, people are dying, Kim, I know. But, like, I feel like, I don't know. There has to be like a workaround because it's like niggas asleep. There usually <laughs> is actually like there are internists which are doctors who like work at night. But if you're on call, then you're on call. Whenever <laughs> they call you, you gotta come. And Hello. also, there are doctors who do like like 26 hour shifts. Like it's crazy. A lot of people like medicine is grueling, which is why I literally emphasize: if you're not passionate in it, don't go into it because it's all it's not fun and games like yeah. the look of it is like oh my gosh yes you're a doctor md like look at me i make six <laughs> figures like but <laughs> you go how many days without sleep you're literally yeah. exhausted caffeine is your bestie like it's a lot do you think that like this is kind of like a tangent but how do you think that that affects like performance, right? Because mm-hmm. like a doctor at the beginning of their shift cannot be performing the same as someone who has been standing in the uh, what's it the ER the operating room for twenty six hours. Like, can you imagine being the patient that comes in at the twenty sixth hour and the doctor needs to be your <laughs> like surgery your stomach's open? The st- <laughs> like, like how? But I know you're not in like medical school yet. But as someone who kind of like knows the field a bit better, like. How do you think, do you think that that has like a negative effect on the quality of people's surgeries and also like the outcome of people's surgeries and stuff? Personally, I also think that like 26 hour shifts are a lot, especially like, I hope that those working 26 hours at least get like hour breaks in between, right? Like, I hope it's not 26 hours straight, but again, if you do work at a hospital setting, then it is kind of what you're signing up for in a way, since like hospitals never sleep. They're open 24 seven, 366 days, like if it's a leap year, whatever. Anyways, um, <laughs> they're literally open all the time. A hospital never shuts down. So if you do see yourself working in a hospital, then that is something you're going to have to prepare for. But like you mentioned, going into work and being full of energy and then literally 26 hours later, like obviously you're going to be exhausted. But again, I do feel like those doctors with that passion is like every patient comes and you're kind of rejuvenated with energy because you're like, okay, let me see how I can make this patient better. Like I don't want this patient to stay in this hospital either. <laughs> like, I don't want to stay in this hospital any longer than I should. I don't want this patient to stay in this hospital any longer than they should. So it's kind of like that little boost of energy, especially when you do something you love, then you can do that forever, like literally forever. Um, so I do hope that they get breaks in between because I know I can get cranky if I don't have any sleep. So yeah. hopefully they get little naps and, you know, but they do get a couple of snacks here and there from what I've seen, at least like at my clinic where I work at, sometimes we get snacks, like um, some pharmaceutical reps just come in and buy you food so that you can use their medication and stuff. But yeah, I hope that they get food and adequate sleep and everything but 26 hours straight is a lot intense and 
as someone who's trying to get into the field, how did your like identity, like as a black woman, like how did that weigh into your decision or weigh into like your vision in terms of getting into med school, going through that journey, becoming a doctor, physician and all that? So I definitely, um, like if you asked me if I wanted to be a doctor five years ago, I would have said no. Um, personally, I've only started seeing a lot of black female doctors until I started my page. I don't think I've ever really seen one except for um, this one doctor who was like the only black girl in her school at UFT in like 2016 or something. She was like one of the only black doctors I, I have seen or even heard like black female doctors I have seen. So obviously the lack of representation didn't really encourage me. But and then I know myself and I'm like, if anything, you would want to be that representation. <laughs> like you would want to be that one at the hospital that little girls are like, oh my gosh, mommy, I had a black doctor today, right? Mm -hmm. Like I know myself, I'm like, dude, that would be you. Like who wouldn't want somebody to look up to and then that just happened to be you. Like, I feel like that's such a wholesome moment. And I'm like, I wouldn't let that stop me because there's got to be a first black doctor somewhere. And if that's going to be me, then that's going to be me. Obviously, like, it's going to come to trials and tribulations. But you know, we got to start somewhere. And I shouldn't let that be the only reason why I don't pursue medicine. Because in reality, any job I really go for, I'm forever going to be a black woman. So <laughs> I'm going to have to deal with that, literally for the rest of my life. So might as well, like, pursue what I want to and not let that get into the way of what I want to do. Um, I do also believe that obviously when I do apply to medical school, um, a lot of people out there believe that if you're like black and you apply, then you have a better chance at getting accepted because you know, everybody wants diversity and whatnot. But and then you go and you look at the stats and it's not really matching what people are saying. So you're like, um, if that were true, then I don't think there would only be one black girl in the class of 200 plus at UFT in 2016. <laughs> like, I don't think like the math is not mathing. Something yeah. is not adding up. Yeah. So obviously being a black girl is something I was born as, something I'll die as. So might as well make the most of it and inspire others if I can. And I do feel like that's an important contrib contribution you're making, especially in terms of like how we've been talking a lot about like black women feeling or fearing, you know, the mistrust, the medical mistrust that black women have when they're giving birth, you know, like, especially the fact that you're going into that field where you're going to come into contact with women, probably black women who are giving birth, who are going to be looking for that physician that they trust, who are going to have to go through that extra step of doing the research, knowing how to advocate for yourself, knowing what you need, knowing how to ask for things because they won't always take you seriously, unfortunately, having to put in that extra work just to make sure you're heard, just to make sure you're survive, you're surviving. I do feel like it's important that people enter the field and advocate for those people in a way, you know, ensure that that advocacy happens, or at least ensure that there's a person in the room that's informed in terms of like what it is that's going on with these women, because like, especially knowing that these deaths could have been prevented. Mm -hmm. It's like, would someone that actually advocates for the cause, like had someone who advocates for the cause been there, how would that have changed the outcome? You know? Exactly. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I do find it to be a very like 
important contribution that you're making so I, it's really like although it's not like oh you need to save us you need to be the person that saves us type of pressure that I'm trying to put on you it's but it is really nice to hear you know that um, more black women are entering the field and going into a place in which like black women are very much victimized and are at risk but, mm-hmm. but yeah yeah um and I wanted to talk a bit about um I actually did want to go into like medical mistrust and kind of how um a lot of the black community views sort of medicine doctors and all that and that general just like absence of trust you know and I wanted to confront kind of like where it's from and how it's framed by um non-black people who speak of our stories and I guess I want to get like your take on it, like how you've experienced it or maybe like how you've just seen it in your life or how you've confronted it in the past, if you have. Yeah. Um, so just like before I answer that, I just want to clarify, I'm not a doctor yet, guys. Okay, I'm yeah. going off of what I like researched, um, what I've heard from other people and based on like the courses I've took and what I've learned. So again, I'm not a physician yet. So like we'll put a disclaimer in know. the description. <laughs> yeah. Just like disclaimer. But yeah, um, I do feel like the medical mistrust does date back into like the slavery era. Um, a lot of people may or may not be aware of this, but black people were experimented on a lot. And they happen to be the reason for medical discoveries, um, like Harrietta Lacks, for example. Um, it's not really a name that we learn in medicine. However, her contribution is still being used today as it is. Like, um, basically, she was a woman who had like cancer, and then they took her cancer cells without consent from the family or the patient, and they discovered that her cells were like different from everybody else's, and then they used her cells for cancer research, and it's still being used today, like, and she passed away like a while ago. Um, I I read online that um, it helped with like the COVID vaccine, with the polio vaccines wow. and everything, but a lot of people don't even know that it's thanks to her cells that we are where we are today with medicine. So, um, just that lack of communication as well and education um and also the fact that what we're reading on the news today like all the black women who are dying or who were severely hurt during childbirth that could have been like you mentioned avoidable if they had just been listened to um like for example like even serena williams when she had given birth she had complications and everything and they were not listening to her. They were just not listening to her. She's like, I know what's wrong with my body. Something's not right. Somebody needs to listen. And eventually they listened, but she easily could have passed away had Mm -hmm. she not advocated for herself. Um, Like Amber Rose Isaac, um, Tatia Odin French, um, Shaasia Washington. Those are just a few names of of, um, black women who died during childbirth or even after childbirth um, and then like I previously mentioned there were a bunch of experiments that were done on black people um, one of the more popular ones but that are still like not talked about enough is like the Tuskegee syphilis study mm. um, 
where they just brought up like 600 black men and infected them with injected them with syphilis just to see like if it would if the effects are the same on white men and black men and that study was supposed to be for six months like just six months it lasted 40 years yeah so those men those 600 men were not given any medication to treat the syphilis and it lasted for 40 years so that is a lot of generations that had to deal with this and it's like how are we really supposed to like a lot of people don't really trust medicine that's why I do believe that like um especially a lot of black people have like their home homemade remedies to just avoid going to the doctors like for example um it's really it was really prominent during COVID where like oh if you just drink ginger tea with lemon and like a bit of cumin then it'll cure your COVID and stuff like that we had <laughs> sorry to interrupt remedies you. yes we had like a whole like at some point my mom bought a whole jug of like apple cider vinegar it filled up a quarter of the fridge a literal quarter of the fridge nobody drank it and it stayed there for months yeah like a little bit of salt water with lemon and you'll get your taste back you know like just stuff like that it comes from places that where people were avoid literally avoiding going to medicine because they did not trust them because if you read there's even a book by Harriet A. Washington um, called Medical Apartheid which is basically just a book full of experiments that were done on black people about medicine from back in the days until like the present day. Um, so it's still even happening right now. It's just that obviously it's not really talked about so we don't really know about it. Um, and yeah, I, I do feel like that is like one of the main reasons why there's a lot of distrust in um, medicine. There's just not enough people advocating for black patients which leads to them just not getting tested regularly for example or not getting their yearly checkups or something like it comes from a deep place Mm -hmm. and what I've always found interesting about that feeling of mistrust is how like it's always framed because like they don't take into account the history whether it's by choice or just by simple ignorance and misinformation I've felt, or at least like when I've kind of experienced it, felt as if it was more like a a victim blaming type of spirit. Like, oh, it's your fault that you don't trust the medical, like that you don't trust your doctors. Eventually you'll get to a point where you'll actually trust science as you're supposed to, you know, instead of recognizing the history that's led to us feeling this way. Like if an indigenous woman says, I don't trust doctors because of what happened with, oh, I forgot her name, but um, a woman in Quebec, I believe was sick and nurses were out here spewing a bunch of shit, insulting her. And she recorded it. She passed away because Mm. they were not taking her condition seriously, you know, and that leads to a lot of distrust from a lot of like marginalized communities, but it's always framed as this, oh, you just don't believe in science. Oh, you're just not believing, you know, in these people that studied for years and years and years, but studying for years and years and years does not take away your discrimination does not take away your racial biases if anything there are a lot of places where you'll go to school a lot of ways in which institutions will reinforce those biases you know and I was reading up about how um these people were no one was telling them that black people don't actually feel pain 
the same as other human beings. Like they were being told that that's how it is. And there are physicians who believe that. So unfortunately, like going to school for X amount of years does not rid you of your ability to discriminate against certain groups, especially if you're like hell bent on making that your thing. Like going to school isn't really going to change much. So I do feel like, like there's a lot of gaslighting because it's like, oh, are you saying you don't trust science? It's like, no, you know, science is there. Science is, you know, it's there. But the reality is the people who have the power to spread the knowledge are not always people who are going to do it with their best interest in mind. And I feel like that's a reality that a lot of Black people are trying to like mend together, you know, like both wanting to trust the person who studied for X amount of years, but also wanting to advocate for yourself. Um, in a space where like, you know, your body, you know, what's going on with it. And about what you said, I find it interesting how like the whole not listening to black women during childbirth kind of, it doesn't matter how rich you are. You know, it doesn't matter who you are. You could be like someone could be fangirling while you're giving birth and still not listening to your, still not listen to your concerns. Because Mm -hmm. I read about how like even Beyonce got pre pre M. I don't know the name, <laughs> preeclampsia, or I, f- I forgot the name, but basically, oh, yeah, pre, uh, pre, preeclampsia, yeah. Okay, yeah, but it was like, it was from what I heard, like mostly avoidable, except people weren't listening to her when she was raising her concerns. You know, like even someone like Beyonce, who probably had like the top doctors, who probably paid good money for those doctors, who probably had like a really nice suite and her own private hospital mm-hmm. still wasn't listened to. It's just like re- discrimination. Just, it just doesn't matter how rich you are sometimes. Like it transpires like wealth. It transpires like stardom, fame and all of that. And I just find it really interesting how like racism, racism in medicine just like is so strong sometimes. Um, but yeah. Oh, did you have something to say, Emily? No, I was just going to, because Tanya was talking about how um, a lot of medical experiments were originally done on Black people. And I think it's interesting that despite the fact that most, let me not say most, because I don't know if that's true, but many um, scientific and medical discoveries were found because of Black bodies, you hardly see that reflected in the medical um, images used to depict these conditions. So like Mm -hmm. recently, like there was, I think like one of like the first like images of what like a fetus looks like inside a Black woman pregnant. Like the, the, like, did you guys see that picture? Yeah. Yeah. The animation was Black and like we had, like that was like one of the first times we've seen like a pregnant Black woman in like a medical book. Like when you see like even like skin conditions will look different on black people and white people. And despite the fact that like black people are being used to test these things, they only show the medical effects that it has on white people, which I find like really interesting. Cause that means like they actively like avoid picturing like, so it's not even like we couldn't even find any black people with a condition. It's like you fully made, you fully infected black people with the condition and then went out of your way to ignore them when depicting the severity and like, I don't know. I just think that that's not interesting, but sad, I guess. But another interesting thing I've noticed is how black people are used as lab rats, whereas white people are just used as like testing participants. Like I was reading up about how, um, 
how a lot of like the diets, like the military diet or just like a bunch of diets that they like to try out or just like med medicine and things in general are tried out or tried on like white men, you know, and how they're tried on like a specific population. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I noticed how like a lot of people will be talking about like, oh yeah, you're taking this medicine as like a black woman while they've never tried it on us. So good luck with that, you know? And it's like, when we want to do like these consensual trials of things, you know, they'll actually like, that won't necessarily like kill the people, but like benefit them, you know, they get compensated properly. Everything's like right and legal. We're like, okay, let's go with the white man. But then we're like, we need lab rats. We need people to test out this vaccine on. We need people to try out this. We need to see if people will die from this. We need lab rats without having lab rats. Let's take black people, you know? And I feel like when they try things on black people versus like white people, there's kind of this dehumanization that happens. Whereas like, there's often a lack of consent, you know, there's often a lack of like pain meds, addressing the pain, addressing the consequences of, um, you know, the wrong that came with the testing that you're doing, you know? And I just find, I just find it really interesting how like those practices are both important, like the, well, the practice of like testing things on people is important, but with black people, there's just like so much dehumanization that happens when they do it, that it almost feels like we're less than human. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Like if you look at like even like two years ago when the pandemic was first like taking off when they wanted to do vaccine testing and then they said, oh, let's test it on the Africans. <laughs> and the pandemic was literally predominantly in Western countries. It was make it made no sense. It made mm -hmm. absolutely no sense. But like for things that like they're not, it seems that for things that are more dangerous or that we do not know the outcome of or that can have like deadly ramifications that's when they look for the blacks to test it on but if you know uh like you, you'll be all right then they can test it on the white people and then they can get consent and then they can do these elaborate experiments like compensate them compensate them sign mm. consent forms all out but for black people they don't care yeah and like you mentioned about the whole um COVID vaccine and testing it on um, African situation. I feel like that kind of started the whole um, vaccina vaccination, like distress um, that was going around. Like, why would you test it on a continent where COVID is not that bad compared to North America, where literally US surpassed China in terms of COVID, va um, COVID cases? And it originated there. And it's like, is that not like, maybe you want to test it on them first? Like why all of a sudden are you going straight to Africa? Like it didn't make any sense. And a lot of people are like, okay, well, this vaccine's probably going to kill me if they want to test it out on black people first. And I feel like that kind of started a whole lot of um, conspiracy theories, with, you know, the COVID vaccine, which is very unfortunate, you know, cause I feel like they were just trying to create herd immunity. Like you see how a lot of people get vaccinated for chicken pox and like hepatitis and everything nowadays. Um, like we don't really, we didn't really question those because a lot of the people now, like our generation who got um, vaccinated for chicken pox, we, 
we weren't really there to see how bad chickenpox was. That that was so contagious that you can be like right beside somebody, catch it and infect like everybody else at home. And then they infect everybody at work and they infect everybody on the bus. But like, we never really saw or witnessed how bad it was because we got vaccinated for that and we're fine. And I feel like with all the misinformation that happened on the internet, the conspiracy theories, um, the whole vaccinate Africans first, and the whole, like, if you get vaccinated, you'll be entered into a raffle to win a million dollars. Like, you'll get a free burger. <laughs> Very bizarre. And then they're going to be like, why don't Black people trust help. the government? And that's the thing, because, like, we get va- we've get we gotten vaccinated before. And we keep trying to tell people this is a vaccination, like all other vaccinations. But then if you get vaccinated, you get a free plane ticket to Bora Bora. Like, <laughs> it just doesn't feel the same. Like, the way they're treating it doesn't feel the same. And when you add, like, the already, like, present distrust of Black people and how vaccines have been used to, you know, like, euthanize you know, for euthanization, for, you know, like we said, like syphilis and all that. It's just like, y'all are not helping. Like, why am I getting a free burger for getting vaccinated? I've had plenty of vaccines before in my life. Why am I getting free food for it? You know? Like I have my immunization records. I didn't get anything, maybe a little lollipop from the doctor's office, but I never got entered into a raffle to win a million dollars just because I got a vaccine. Like that's, like something is not adding up and i remember that story of that nurse who was anti-vax and so she injected people with the saline solution instead of actually putting in the vaccine and it's like how and it honestly made me so paranoid for a bit because it's like how many people have done that and haven't gotten caught you know like it's just so there's just seems to have to there's so many things going on revolving the vaccine it just seems like we never get a rest and like then there's like the vaccine rollouts that people don't understand like why do they keep rolling out new vaccines like I was talking to my family about it the other day and I was like oh yeah like in New Brunswick some eligible people are getting a fourth dose and it's like a fourth we didn't know a third one was going to come along why are we getting a fourth one and it just makes it so much harder to have conversations about like the necessity of a vaccine you know, like why, you know, getting vaccinated is is important, why we need the vaccine, like people are dying, but also like, people are like, is this going to kill me too? You know, there's just so much conversation to be had around, like, I mean, to be fair, I don't, I don't, I don't know how much, like, I personally wouldn't say that they did a fantastic job at explaining a lot of it to us. I feel like there was a lot of like, you know, we don't really know what's going on. You don't really know what's going on, but you're just going to listen to us, even though we don't really like, okay, things are going to be open. Things are going to be closed again. We don't really know. Yeah. New variants. We don't know what she does. Oh, she doesn't do anything. Actually stay for 14 days. Actually stay for five, stay for five. Go to that. Actually. And then they're shook that people don't respect the, or that people don't like trust the government when every two days you're telling us something different beginning of the pandemic you have to stay like the quarantine bro quarantine at the beginning of the pandemic was so serious like that shit was like stay in do not leave your dwelling not even your dwelling do not leave your room if you mm-hmm. are at home people were sealing like the doors with like plastic and stuff people were passing like food under little doors and stuff and now it's like i mean you can stay at home for five days i guess 
maybe yeah kind yeah, of yeah it's sorta. just the constant change of rules and like not really letting the public know what's going on I feel like the misinformation got spread like faster than the actual information did um they really just told everybody you know uh, get vaccinated it's for your own good but they never really explained it and then all that misinformation got out first and mm-hmm. it's like okay well now everybody saw that already so it kind of seems like you're just trying to like a quick cleanup it doesn't really seem that genuine and I think that's why a lot of people are like afraid of it like personally I'm triple vax I got two Modernas and a boost a Pfizer booster like I'm I'm back yeah like because like why did we stay inside because we're in Ontario so why did we stay inside for 30 days you know like how like what was the difference what difference was made by those 30 days because now we're talking about opening up full capacity restaurants had full capacity on I think tomorrow you know so it's like what happened between January 1st and February 17th that made it so that suddenly we're all ready to be mingling up together again you know I just like elections oh yeah elections elections I think yeah Mm-hmm. capitalism is kill is capitalism is what's killing us can you literally have to because they said because that first lockdown because canada is not the states I, some places in the states have never been locked down and you know they've been living <laughs> like some places in the states is crazy like they've been living a post-pandemic life for like a year like <laughs> we have not had a post-pandemic era yet but capitalism like they want people to go back to work they don't like this whole remote thing. People are having leisure. People can free time. You know, free time. Serve um, from home. People yeah. can get happiness money and joy for free. Uh-oh, we're not going to do that. And so they're forcing people to go back to work in unsafe work environments. Forcing people to go back to classes with two, three hundred students max, packed empty theaters, COVID wildfire because students are not clean people. Mm-mm. students do not distance from themselves so just covid covid like but they don't care because people want to make money and so capitalism is everywhere that's like a little tangent but what Karel was saying earlier about the nurse injecting people with like saline solution isn't it crazy what white people can get away with like i don't like it's so it's mind-boggling to me that a white like that someone could go around like if it was a black woman god damn they would have made an example out of her if it was a black woman you would have heard every other white person from that day oh i don't really want a black nurse because what if xyz because and like this is i guess like like a larger conversation about how like black people are constantly like representations of their race i guess one black person is every black exactly yeah it's like tanya i guess the question i want to ask you it's kind of a bit similar to what kevin asked you before but it's like how do you feel that you're going to deal with the pressure of being like maybe the only black doctor or black doctor point blank period, but black female doctor that many white patients encounter with or have encounters with like how or like how have you kind of prepared yourself to be, I guess, it, like isolate, that isolated girl. in that sense? I don't know. like do you feel like you're ready to handle that are you like scared what are your feelings so personally I feel like um I would never truly be ready for what they're gonna say to me like I know it'll happen unfortunately because you know that's 
just the world we live in as black women um it's always gonna happen um but I feel like like I know people will do that to me I know I might get it through medical school or residency or whatever placement I get I know it might it'll happen I just don't know when or who or where like it could be my boss for crying out loud it could be a patient like it'll happen and I've already come to senses with that like I know it'll happen I've faced already like not necessarily in medicine but like in life I've already faced like you know being the black girl the only black girl somewhere or like being the only black person period somewhere um so it's always something like as a any black girl you have to like like you have to come to your senses and be like yeah I know that there's a possibility I'm gonna be the only black girl here or even the only black person here um but what's really like keeping me moving and motivated and inspirated is that I'm gonna have that one black patient who's never going to expect to get a black doctor like I'm just gonna show up and they're gonna be like oh you're the doctor and like just see how they relax and how they're more comfortable because mm-hmm. there is also like a study out there that shows that apparently like patients react better and get better treatment when they're treated by physicians of similar like race or um just similar gender or race somebody they can relate to like they do respond to better treatments like that so I do know that um especially since um I live in Ontario it's pretty diverse like there are a lot of black people here um there are a lot of black women here so eventually I'm gonna have that black patient that's gonna be like okay like I'm gonna come back here that means you're tell me where you're on shift I'm gonna come back like (laughs) stuff like that but I do also know that there's gonna be I know for a fact that when I'm in medical school I'm gonna get mistaken as a nurse which isn't bad like nurses are great they're very essential to medicine so I don't really understand how like being called a nurse is like an insult personally but I'm not going through all these years of schooling for you to just, you know, knock me down by rank like that. Like, not that I'm going to medicine for status or anything, but if I worked my butt off to be a doctor and you don't even treat me like that, then, you know, it's disrespectful. Like, dude, if when you see like a white male walk into the room, then you're automatically going to assume he's the doctor, which is, you know, just the case. Like, you see, if they talk about like, Dr. Smith oh okay you're gonna assume that he's a white male you're not gonna be like oh Dr. Smith is a black woman like nobody's gonna just assume that right because unfortunately that's the world we live in but yeah um just to answer your question I don't think that I'm truly ready for the comments but I am ready that I know there will be comments if I don't know if that makes any sense Mm -hmm. yeah and I think like the comment you made about um the comfort of having a black doctor it's very like it's something that I've been feeling because I got recently um, I recently connected. Well, not even recently. There was a little, like almost over a year ago. I connected with a black doctor who turned out to be Cameroonian, who down the line, I actually realized knows my family, <laughs> Lol. like knows my family and knows my family well, you know, like knows like he's like my other family members doctor. I was not aware, but um you know, I do feel like it's an interesting experience to have that, like, 
Like you come in and your doctor's telling, like he's talking to you about your health, but also like I get to have conversations with him about, you know, Cameroon. I get to talk to him about like what my country's going through, you know, like my plans in life. And he understands like there's that understanding of like, I don't need to explain every single part of my life. You know, like we can make jokes about my family and it's just like, that easy it's just that simple jokes that we he comes in whole joke and the nurses don't even get what he's saying they'll just like okay (laughs) yeah because it's like your doctor is telling you oh you need to like eat healthier go on a diet and you're like um does bundu count and like (laughs) how are you supposed to explain what that is right so exactly Exactly. like getting someone having someone who understands like who's that cultural awareness is very important and so like like you're saying like eating the foods of our country like how do I remedy that when I'm looking for like when I'm trying to take care of my health you know do I just stop eating the foods of my country a whole conversation about like how cultural foods are often not considered healthy because they're not white but yeah just kind of that experience of um of black people being that representation in ways they honestly, I feel like you'll be that representation in ways you won't even expect. And I'm really excited for that journey for you. And um, I wanted to ask you like what you believe are a couple roadblocks, roadblocks that black people face when they're trying to get into medicine, because there are a lot of, there are very few black people in medicine. Right. And that could be due to like racism, discrimination, all that. And what do you believe are the main roadblocks to getting into medicine for black people, for black kids? Um, so definitely I feel like money is one of the main factors because becoming a doctor is not cheap. You need to go through, you need a degree first, which is already post-secondary. It's a lot of money already as it is. And then you need to take the MCAT, taking the MCAT. I think it's like around $300 to write the test alone. And that's excluding all the resources that you need to study for the test. Like, yes, there are free resources out there, but if you want like a good practice test, like a good bundle, whatever, I know like Princeton Review has a bundle or something, and that's like another hundreds of dollars. And applying to schools, you also need to pay to apply to schools. You need to pay when you send in your secondaries. Um, depending on where you're going to school. So for example, if I apply to American schools and I have interviews there, then I need to fly to America and go to those schools and take interviews. So it can't be no Zoom calls. It has to be during COVID it's Zoom, but I know like pre-COVID like uh, applicants would travel, like actually go to places and do their interviews in person. So if I apply to get in, yeah, and you it's not even a guarantee that you get in too, right? So if I apply to like the medical school at Lakehead, then I have to go all the way to Lakehead and do my interview there, which is money, um, like plane, eating, hotel, like where I'm going to stay. Like, am I just going to go there the morning of and risk being late? No, I have to go a day earlier, but I need somewhere to stay. Like that is a lot of money. And then going to medical school itself, like medical tuition, Um, In Canada, it is cheaper, but we only have 17 medical schools in total in Canada. America has like 200 plus. So obviously a lot of people apply to American medical schools because they have more seats available, which means you have a better chance at getting in. And that is a lot of money, especially on an international tuition. 
it just, it hurts my heart just thinking about it. It's like $100,000 a year for four years. And then residency is like five figures and you have to pay them back. And it's a lot of money. And a lot of people just get really discouraged going to medicine because it's a lot of money when you can like get another job, which is not, you know, you make a comfortable salary and you're happy, but it's not as much money going to school. Like, you, um, for example, um, like becoming a nurse, it, it is cheaper, like considerably cheaper. You can go to post-secondary, get a bachelor's of science in nursing, and then you can go straight into working as a nurse. You don't need any extra schooling. You just need the um, like certification exam and you're set. You don't need an extra four years. You don't need an extra um, up to eight years in residency. You can just go. And a lot of people do go that route because it's cheaper and you're still in medicine. So it's kind of like a win-win. Um, but yeah, money is definitely one of the biggest roadblocks, especially if you have like immigrant parents that immigrated mm -hmm. to Canada and they're already, you know, working, but not obviously making as much as they would want to because, you know, they're immigrants. Um, and you don't want to put that burden to your parents of like a lot of debt. And it's like, you know, let me just get another job where I can still make enough money to provide, but obviously it's not like the job that you truly want to. Um, and also obviously being black as you are, <laughs> that is a roadblock as well. Unfortunately, um, a lot of like UFT has took the initiative of having like a black student portal where like black students could specifically apply there. And then you can write like a whole essay on how um, being black and medicine and whatever you can like do all of that so um I do think that's good and then again looking at the stats of how many black people are accepted you know it's kind of worrisome it's like a lot of people aren't comfortable enough being the only black person at an institute so they would just not pursue it because they're like if I don't have anybody else with me there I can't do it I need that other black person like I have a friend who literally she dropped out of nursing because she was the only black person there and there was like those microaggression and stuff and mm. she just, she couldn't handle it she's like I can't do this especially from her own classmates who will grow up and be nurses themselves she's like I can't do this so it's very unfortunate but it's it does happen and yeah so like money being black obviously where you come from um sometimes you don't have as much opportunities as others do um like i mentioned there's only 17 medical schools in canada as a whole the whole country where america has 200 plus medical schools so as a canadian i'm obviously i have a lesser chance of getting accepted than an american if they apply to their medical schools which obviously i'm not going to I'm like, I already knew that. I'm just going to apply and wish for the best. Like, I'm just going to do it. Like, honestly, I really want to be a doctor. So I'll, I'll take on the debt. I'll pay it back one day. I'll be fine. But yeah, money and obviously your race. Those are like the two major obstacles that like really come to mind when going into medicine. What I find interesting about a lot of these conversations about like when we talk about getting into med school, when we talk about getting into law school, when we talk about getting into these sorts of schools, there's a lot of ways in which like generational wealth plays a role in someone's ability to have access to certain opportunities. I was watching this um, video where this guy was talking about how 
he couldn't get any scholarships for his PhD because he didn't get any for his master's and the amount of scholarships you get for your master's determine your scholarships for a PhD. But he didn't know he could get scholarships for his master's because he wasn't in a space that allowed him to get that information. But kids whose parents got master's, they knew that you know and like being first generation going into these sorts of experiences not being with people who are also in that environment in your day-to-day it's really hard to get in these sorts of environments even if your parent like is in an adjacent sort of like organization or they just have that sort of power you know like not having that power can put you at a disadvantage so I think a lot about like I've gone to a lot of like a black law student events and I was thinking about like, okay, yes, they have this special place for Black people, but at the end of the day, I'll never be able to compete with the kids who know exactly what to do to get in. I will never be able to compete with the kids who know which boxes to check to get in. You know, like, yes, Black spaces, but elitism is still there. The status thing, like the status difference is still there. The fact that my parents are teachers and their parents were maybe not, probably not, you know, their parents were maybe like doctors or lawyers or judges and all that makes it so that I don't have the advantage of having an entourage that fully understands how to help me get that leg up. You know, you don't have the connections as well, Mm because obviously if both of your parents are doctors and you want to be a doctor dude like you're basically you just need the good stats the good application and you're basically set like you have your parents have connections they can put you on um they have money to support you to go to school if they were to pay for you like you're set compared to as like if a like you mentioned a first generation child were to go and they have to figure everything out for themselves Mm -hmm. and unfortunately you know they won't have access to everything because again, they don't have access to all those resources to even know, like a lot of people go and apply to medical school and the whole time they realize that their application like didn't check all the boxes. Like they're like, oh, I don't have that. And I didn't know I needed that until Mm -hmm. too late, right? So obviously, like you mentioned, I really like that point, the whole generational wealth that is a good like um, example and a good um, roadblock as well that I forgot to mention. Yeah, because generational wealth shows up in many ways, right? It's not just money. It's also information, which is very, very crucial in terms of like entering certain spaces. Um, But another thing I wanted to talk about is Canada's healthcare system. And I wanted to debunk a few things about Canada's healthcare system. Just the concept, like I always hear Americans talking about Canada's healthcare system because, you know, as we know, Americans are in the trenches. So like, it's really hard for them to, like some people have to choose between, you know, paying rent and fixing your broken leg. And in Canada, it's a bit different. We have, you know, the concept of universal healthcare. And that's led to a lot of people saying that healthcare in Canada is free, even though it's not And I wanted to talk a bit about like our experience with Canadian healthcare. Like, no, because I have things to say. The Canadian healthcare system has scammed me. No, it's <laughs> provincial. Yeah, it's provincial. And even then, like, it only covers certain things. So, like, dental is not covered. If you're unemployed, bitch, you're not going to the dentist. I'm so sorry. Um, glasses, that's just not covered. If you're if you can't see, you just have to figure it out. Like. Some stuff is covered specifically by your job. 
um, job insurance or like insurance that you pay one two healthcare like um, just like general like medicine doctor stuff that's provincial besties I moved out of the province uh, for school and it was a rude awakening when I realized that uh, my meds cost up to $130 per month. Now I'm in university and ask me how many times I'm supposed to have my meds. I'm supposed to take one pill every day per month. I do not do that um, because I cannot afford to go and get my meds once a month as I should. They're like, oh yeah, like, and so I even, it's like easy because it's like, I'm still like a citizen, right? But it's like, then again, if you're not a Canadian citizen, then that's another level of difficulty. So like the free healthcare is kind of like a, like, it's not a mirage because it's like, I still, it's still better than, you know, the States, but that bar is low as hell. You let, like, I feel like we need to, as Canadians, we kind of need to stop comparing ourselves with the States because like the bar is in hell. Like why do most like everyone is better most countries don't even function why do we keep comparing ourselves to a country that doesn't function like most countries that doesn't most countries that most aren't countries. like that no literally like if you look at most most western countries like the united states is has literally the worst welfare state out of any developed country like bar none but so like why easily. do we keep looking at them as so if like we're on Canada the same is more comparable with like a france if anything with like a France or like an England, like I feel like those are better people for us. Like we need to stop comparing ourselves to the States just because they're like our neighbors to the South. Like, no, we pay for, like, we don't pay as much out of pocket for healthcare. So things like ambulances and things like um, surgeries and stuff don't cost as much. However, comma for the everyday person, it's still going to make your pocket hurt because you're still going to have to pay for that insurance. Or if you don't have insurance, you're still going to have to pay for the meds so it really only helps if you're like being rushed to the er yep exactly that's what i was reading about that and they're saying like canada's free quote-unquote healthcare is helpful in moments of emergency you know mm-hmm. like i actually read up a little chart about this and in ontario they cover doctor's visit hospital fee limited mm-hmm. travel medication eye exam eye exam is prescription meds for children and seniors yep what if i need to go to therapy what if I need to get my teeth done? Ma'am, I got my teeth done. My insurance, okay, because I have good insurance. They haven't, but they haven't paid me back for my teeth. Wisdom teeth, bro. $1,500. Out of run, no. What about my, what if I need massage therapy? What if I need medication? I'm 20. What if I need meds? What if I need eyeglasses? And this is actually a tangent, but for some bit, like people like at the eyeglasses were like striking. <laughs> yeah they, they were. were striking and I was just not seeing for a bit because I was having like eye pain and I was just like in pain for a bit and they're like no we can't see you only children and seniors like, okay literally yeah like um when I was at work it during that strike period was hell literal hell we would get calls from parents all the time they're like I need a referral to an ophthalmologist like my child can't see in class and OHIP is on like OHIP and eye doctors are literally fighting right now and my child is blind in class they can't see I'm like okay I'm like I'm sorry but we don't there's no such thing as like referrals to optometrists optometrists don't take referrals you just show up and book an appointment 
but they wouldn't book anybody under 19 or anybody over 65 because they're all covered by OHIP. So if you were like 20 to 64, you're fine. You can book. But under I was 19. Literally. Bro, literally. My mom. To get these new glasses and my eyes are so bad. I, I'm that's, so that's the key. So like bad. age also matters because my mom kept reminding me like when I went back home for the summer, she's like, this is the last year covered by our eyeglass insurance. Like you're going to need to figure that. Yeah. Like, yeah. So it's like after the age of, I think, um, I was 19 I just turned 20 so I think like that was like my last technically like eyeglass visit that was covered by yeah. insurance dentist visit what else doctor like family doctor bro I need to find a family doctor. that's a side note but like family doctors because obviously once you're an adult you don't really go to like you know women go to they go to gynecologists and things of that nature so you don't have a things- family doctor when don't you still go to a family doctor yeah, but like it's not covered by your parents' insurance anymore. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Really? So you turn twenty? You're twenty? Yeah, yeah. When you're twenty, like yeah, it's I'm done. Still I, think. I have a couple months, but like <laughs> because my mom was telling me that I don't know, like if nineteen, I'm pretty sure nineteen or eighteen or nineteen has to be the cutoff age. I think Usually. it's not for me. For me, it's twenty five as long as I'm at school. Really? Wow. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. tip, <laughs> Ontario <laughs> teachers, Ontario. Ontario oh, because your parents insurance. are teachers. Okay. Ontario teachers insurance. Like, this isn't even to brag. Like, I just didn't know this. Their insurance is sexy. What? That shit covers. That's why my mom wants me to be a teacher in it, but no, don't become a teacher. Go to my mother. She'll tell you not to become a teacher. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, no. Especially now that it's like report card season. That woman is crying. But yeah. But yeah, back to like the concept of free healthcare in Canada. We actually do pay for like quite a bit of stuff you know there was a time where I was paying like a good two two twenty for my therapy imagine if I didn't have insurance you know like imagine because these are all things that are treated as non-essentials but girl someone has to go to the we have to go to the dentist eventually which is also weird um now that you mention it I don't know why dental health is not the same as health services like, like as if our teeth are optional like it doesn't make sense like in one of my classes like I took a sociology of the welfare state class and so we went through like what health care is in different countries because it varies right and so like in terms of countries because the states they don't have free health care so that's uh, that's off but in terms of like countries who do offer free health care so if you compare like Canada to say a place like like you know the northern Europeans so when you look at Finland Sweden etc 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 like what we consider like health or like health services is so like the bar is so low like you literally need to be like dying or like in a in immediate immediate physical need of like help for them to pay for it but like other than that it's not so different than like the American health insurance coverage because you need to be employed to have like decent or you need to be Mm -hmm. able to pay out of pocket for insurance which like (laughs) ew like i don't know yeah like our health care you know you pay taxes and that's mainly like what yeah. helps with the whole quote-unquote free health care but like most of the time that's not really enough because like you mentioned it only works for like a certain age group if you're a child then you're kind of set because you know they take care of you as a child I'm living my best it's life like your teen to adult years where you're kind of on rough your and then you're old and they're like okay we'll take care of you again so it's like, 
yeah, when like you the need whole... them the most, then it's they're like you're on your own. You're on your own, Sorry, ma'am. But also, like I, you said, you made a point about people who are not from here, and like I think about how hard they make it for people who come here to become permanent residents and actually like access healthcare, and that must be such a gamble. Like you just come here let's hope cross your fingers that you never have to go to the doctor you know cross your fingers that you never break anything nothing ever happens to you no teeth fall not a cavity not a Bro. cavity <laughs> because like Dude, the shows it, you're done your bank account is done even like getting treated for regular regular shit is so hard when you don't have a family doctor like i remember once last year i needed to go to the doctor for something and I was looking for a doctor and I don't have a family doctor here. And so, and it was also like, eh, was it peak COVID era? Eh, not really, because it was 2021. So it was like, COVID was I, but COVID was outside. And basically every like place I went, I was like, this is happening. And they're like, sorry, we can't help you unless you have a family doctor here. Mm-hmm. Sorry, we can't help you unless you have a family doctor here. Every single, and because I know that back home they have like walk-in clinics, but here the walk-in clinics weren't taking people unless they had family doctors there. And so I had to go to the ER and the Canadian ER, let me tell you besties, you will spend the entire day in that you you're like, not going I, to work you're not I, I had to go to class that day I could not I was there from what from maybe like 2 p.m to like 11 and my thing was like minor like people and it was like the it was just inefficient like the things that needed to be done like I had to like pee in a cup and put it somewhere the doctor literally took forever to see me I went to the doctor came back the cup was still in the exact same place that I had left it. No one had took it to look at it. Like if I hadn't gone to talk to the doctor, I probably would have waited there like an extra few hours. Like mm-hmm. the Canadian system, you know, shout it's- out to like <laughs> them, I guess, for giving us some stuff, but like. And what ah, yeah, because it's literally because Canada, like as much as we're, you know, developed country, we're lacking in doctors like we are lacking in doctors there's only 17 medical schools like i'm gonna keep saying that because it's ridiculous 17 medical schools in canada and they only take like two three hundred students maybe they don't take that much either way and like in if you're in ontario then applying to out of state um out of state out of province medical school you need a higher gpa than like in in province um applicants so for example the one in lakehead i forgot what i think it's called northwestern medical school something like that um let's just say for example in state like people who live in lakehead have a 3.6 gpa then if you're from out of state you need like a 3.8 to apply there so they really emphasize for people in their province to go to the province's medical school because you're most likely to stay there and Mm. practice there right so literally like in 2018 like I read this um article how in like 2018 there was around like 900,000 like doctors in Canada as a whole in 2018 the population of Canada was like 37 million people so that's not enough doctors for everybody there are always so many people who call my clinic and they're like are you guys taking family doc? Like, are you guys taking patients? Because I'm looking for a family doctor, and like, 
uh, my clinic has been full for years like years the doctors have a lot of patients and it's also a walk-in clinic so not only do they deal with their own family patients but they deal with the walk-in patients so it's a lot and like so many people are out here without any family doctors and then like you said there are new people coming into Canada looking like hopefully they don't need doctors but you know unfortunately they do and there's just not enough family doctors out there or at least Canadian family doctors practicing to take on patients so there are a lot of patients who have to go to the emergency room like Emily mentioned and the wait time is insane like I remember when I went like I had like um like I broke a plate and it like cut my arm and whatever and I was bleeding yada yada yada. um anyways I went and I was there for like a couple of hours too and my whole wrist was like full-on bleeding and I was there for a couple of hours too I'm like so is nobody seeing this blood or like (laughs) is it just me I'm just saying besides somebody that has like you know stomach pain and like my whole my wrist is literally bleeding out and I'm just sitting there in the waiting room like so what are you here for? How long? Have you been? <laughs> like we're literally talking. We're like, how long have you been here? Oh, I've been here since two p.m. And I went at around like eleven p.m. I'm like, oh, I've been here since two p.m. I'm like, oh, and I, I felt so bad when I was seen before her, and I left, and she was still there, and I'm like, sorry, but like you know, your arm was open, like, like my whole wrist was lashed, like it it was so bad, like that plate really did a number on my arm but it's okay you know it's healed my skin is all fine (laughs) but yeah you know we're lacking in doctors so we need more schools we need more seats in the schools to accept people and less roadblocks luckily like the medical school tuition in Canada is cheaper than in America but it's still a lot you know so yeah Thank you, Tanya, for coming to talk with us today. It was a fantastic conversation, a very rich conversation. I think this is one of the most like fully educated. We say that every time and then we have to take out shit because it's false. Okay, so (laughs) this was a nice educated conversation. Hopefully a close 90 to 100% accurate. Um, But thank you guys for listening to us again. We really enjoyed recording this. We hope you guys enjoyed listening. Thank you, Tanya, for coming to talk with us today. And make sure to interact with all our social media. It's always there in the description. And we will see you guys next time. Bye.